Graham, I don't hate Tom Brady. Do you hate Tom Brady? Yeah, I hate Tom Brady. I definitely hate Tom Brady. You got a big dream board with like it's just got Tom Brady's head on it and arrows in it. Yeah. yeah. Because you're such a huge Bills fan, when was the last time you were this excited about a Buffalo Bills signal caller? I would say never. Never felt this optimistic at all. The future of the franchise is locked in. Let's talk Bills. I'm Graham, and I'm here with Eric as well. Following the 2022 NFL Draft, how you doing, man? Feeling good. It's a time of optimism. Always feels good post-draft, you know? Yeah, it is. I was loving uh, comparing the actual draft to our mock draft and seeing how close we did uh, because we got one pick right on the nose. Oh, damn, we did. We nailed it. Uh, Actually, side note, I was getting feedback from some of our listeners, and um, one of our listeners told me that our our mock draft would be a, quote, fireable offense (laughs) for for Brandon Bean. (laughs) Ouch. That's harsh. What did they have the biggest issue with? Uh, no first-round pick? Yeah, no first-round pick, and then burning it on a running back right at the top of the second round. Well, I mean, it's not so far off from... Nah, never mind. We'll get into it. Yeah. So uh, today we'll kind of break down what the Bills ended up doing in the draft, and then we'll get into some of the housekeeping stuff to kick off Season 2 of the Let's Talk Bills podcast. We'll break down some of our running bets from last season and just catch up on where things landed uh, because uh, this is the beginning of another season, season two of the pod, and we got to start clean. So what did you think about the round one pick for the Bills? Were you still hoping they would trade back as they sat there? Well, I yeah. guess they traded up. So, Well, I mean, I mean, spoiler alert, I was asleep the whole time this was happening basically so for me i just woke up the next morning and saw everything you know in text i was surprised at so i guess it's 23 that it said the bills were trading up and yeah. first i was like what the heck why would you give away anything to go up two spots i guess you know according to brandon bean he was the last round one grade they had so they felt like it was worth it to get rid of a fourth round pick to go get that last first round graded player. So, I get that, but who was, who was ahead of them at the, that time? It was the Cowboys, Cowboys and who else? Well, they traded with the Ravens. Right. So okay. So it was the Ravens the and the Cowboys. Is, yeah. So I was thinking like, all right, so, you know, the Ravens are obviously willing to trade this pick away. They're probably not going after your guy. They also just took a safety. So they're probably not going to take that corner. And then the Cowboys, I, I didn't see them taking the corner either, but no, I also didn't consider that like if the Ravens are shopping that pick around and you don't make the trade, somebody else, any one of the other 30 picks in the league is going to trade sure. up and they could take your guy. So yeah. I guess it's a little proactive. It's like we, we pay a little extra to make sure that nobody slides in here and steals this guy. And I'm okay with it because it sounds like um, the pick, who is Florida cornerback Kair Elam, will be a nice addition to the secondary and potentially a you know day-in, day-out number two corner opposite Trey White. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was funny how you texted me the day after and said, wow, you have a gift for this or something, dot, 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 because this is, of course, the second year in the row in a row that the Bills have selected the player who 
you know, we got the position right. We nailed the position um, of whatever their biggest need was. Last year it was defensive end. This year was cornerback. But both years now they have taken the player who I had advised the Bills to stay away from in the yeah. first round. You're two for two. Uh, I can't wait to hear who you hate next year. I'll be sure to watch him all season. Listen, I, I don't choose to be this way. It just simply is how God made me. Um, Gregory, Gregory Rousseau looked good his rookie season. He showed some flashes. Um, definitely still a player that needs a lot more development. Kair Elam, though, um, I would say that I'm actually lower on him entering this season than I was last year on Gregory Russo. I think Elam for a lot of the same reasons I mentioned in the pre-draft episode, he's got a lot to work on. He is a bit of a penalty magnet and I didn't realize this. I should have known because of the name, but you know who he's related to Graham? Well, he's got two safety or two NFL secondary relatives. It's like his dad and his uncle both played in the NFL, right? His dad, yeah, his dad played in the NFL, bounced around a little bit. I think his uncle is Matt Elam, who was, if I'm not mistaken, a first-round draft pick for the Ravens. And absolute, like, knucklehead. Uh, All-team knucklehead. He basically uh, got himself kicked out of the league with, I don't know, I think it was drug charges and battery and things like that. Um, the Ravens, uh, really good, really smart franchise, had already decided that they weren't going to use the fifth year on his contract. And um, then they, I think, released him at the end of his third year or maybe just in the beginning of his fourth. And he kind of bounced around, not even in the NFL after that. The NFL basically said goodbye to him, and then he's bounced around in lower-tier leagues since and I think he's still playing, which is crazy, right? Because his nephew just got drafted. And, but he's like Matt Elam, 30 years old now. So, um, yeah. And his dad actually went to Notre Dame and uh, got kicked out of Notre Dame for some bad stuff too. So Interesting, because a lot of what I read about this kid is that he is like the prototypical, like, study hard, um, you know, character guy. And if that were a problem, you'd think that'd be the first thing that everybody would be saying when they picked him. You know, oh, look at his dad and his uncle. Horrible. Yeah. Locker yeah. room. I don't know, man. Like, I guess in his kind of post-draft interview, he talked about learning a lot from his uncle and dad, and you hope he learned a lot from them in terms of what kind of trouble to stay away from and, and how to really apply himself to the game. But it just kind of – I think there's a lot of things that worry me about Kair Elam, but of course, at this point, like we said last week, I more or less trust the McDermott Bean brain trust so much that I'm willing to give anyone more or less the benefit of the doubt that they choose. And to be fair, he does not have issues off the field or anything like that. Like, there's been no report of him having any legal issues of any kind or being a right. character concern. Actually, did you see the video of his? interview at the combine with um the bills front office they put it on uh, Im embedded series is that the one that trey uh white kind of jumped in on 
No, it's like it's okay. like uh, at the combine. You know, they interview the players one on one, and and you start to see like what they were like when the Bills first met them, and asked them a whole bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. And the a lot of what's being talked about in the media right now with Kyrie Elam is like, wow, if you watch this interview, you know he is a Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott guy because he comes in, you know, he's a humble kid, and he sits down, and they start asking him a couple questions, and he almost like like unprompted. He hands them a notebook and explains that this is the notebook that he took all of his notes on after every game where he would study the tape of the receivers that he was going to play and then he would break down the way he played against them and he writes it all in this notebook and he goes, if you'd like to take a look at it and he just kind of like tosses this notebook and you know, everybody's talking about how like, oh wow, this is such an amazing thing. But to me, I'm sure it was done with the best of intentions. But it seemed like such a brown noser, like fake <laughs> effort. Uh, it was just like a, like, like, what are they going to do right now? They're going to look through this. They're supposed to be here interviewing you. They're going to look through this notebook now. Like, can we keep the notebook? Do we can we look and see if it's just a bunch of gibberish in here? Yeah, or yeah, it right. really is what it's you're just saying like poems written about the uh, SEC exactly. wide receivers he's going up against. And it didn't. When he said it, he said it like. Like he'd rehearsed this moment of how he's oh, going damn. to deliver the playbook to Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. And everyone oh. in the media right now is like, oh man, you should look at McDermott's face when he says that and hands the notebook off. And like, I maybe I'm just cynical, but to me, it's just like such a rehearsed and that notebook could be filled with nothing. It could well, just dude, be nonsense. Yeah. I, and, and I back up everything you say. I've heard nothing bad about Kyrie Elam as a person in this whole process, but like, yeah, what a great move it would be, especially if, I mean, even if you're an agent to this guy, you tell him you pay an intern to fill a notebook with gibberish and then he can go in. (laughs) He can go in and be like, oh yeah, I did all of this in preparation of all of my opponents every week. It just is like, it, it just, it gets under my skin. It's uncomfortable. It's like, I, I teach, I teach secondhand embarrassment. That's what we call it. And I had a student once long ago who he would not do his homework and he would come in in this basic level algebra class and he would tell me that he wasn't, he didn't do his homework because he was too busy doing all the calculus last night. Whoa. And it is like, you're lying. <laughs> you don't even, it's not the calculus, it's cal- like, it's, it's a clear, just total BS effort, you know? Uh-huh. So I, I, want, I got that vibe from this video, which, you know, it doesn't make me dislike him, it just made me laugh because everybody's just talking, just talking like this, talking like this, talking like this. Nobody filled with all the yeah. amazing ideas. Yet. It could just be written by some <laughs> Anyway, so. You got to send me this video. You, it's on the bill. I almost page. don't want to watch it now, but now I yeah, have it's to gonna see make, it. So. You, you're going to feel very awkward when you look at that part of it. I can't believe that everybody has just this automatic understanding that it must be beautiful. Anyway, um, I liked the pick. Because I liked reading about him before the draft anyway. I didn't see him as one of the top four corners, and he did go before Booth and things like that. Um, but but I liked them taking a guy who has like serious tools. Because when I looked at this class, it sort of felt like everyone they picked fell into like two categories, and maybe all players do. But either they were picking a guy who had like these unbelievable tools and was just this raw prospect, kind of like the Josh Allen type, where he's just a monster. And if it works out, great. Or they have like all these tweener players who like you, they've drafted them as a linebacker, but it's like, will they really be a linebacker in the NFL? Maybe they'd fit better as something else. 
but he seemed like he has just like the ideal build for the position. He's big. He's got great ball skills. He moves well. He can play and press man. Um, and it just seems like if, if he just keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to be a number two corner. And with your number one pick, you want that to be a guy who is pretty solid and you can count on it. Exactly. And I mean, we've been going back to last year's draft and how we wanted to see the Bills get a running mate for Trey White. And and we talked last week about how Trey White's injury made this pick so much more important. Yeah. So I like the pick overall. I like the position for sure. It's not, as I said two weeks ago, the guy who I would have picked maybe. Um, but I think overall, the things that you mentioned, his size, his ball skills, just the raw tools that he has. I I do trust Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott to hopefully get the best out of him. Um, does this pick make you a little bit more worried about Trey White and his recovery from his injury, Graham? Because for me, making this pick and, and trading up to get Elam really kind of points to maybe White's recovery not being where they would hope it would be at this point in time. Yeah. Um, what did you think? I about think that? I, that is a concern because they obviously know more than we do. But I think it's also fair to point out that either that is the problem or Dane Jackson is not going to cut it. And they know that. Sure. So yeah. one of those two things is probably the case. And it's probably more likely to say yeah. that it's the torn ACL that's the culprit here. But yeah, yeah, I would think it's it's more Trey White because, I mean, yeah, Dane Jackson, you don't have to necessarily think he's going to tear it up or whatever. You could still get a corner in round three who you'd think would be a starter over Dane Jackson, who I think was a seventh round pick. Yeah, you could take a cornerback basically anywhere, though, and, and you know, that would tell you how they felt about Dane Jackson. But the fact that they did make it make this move up to get Elam tells me it's more about Trey White, which is a little bit concerning, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, anything else to say about Elam then, Graham? No, I, they, they got a corner, they needed a corner, and they, you know, it, they'll, they'll tell you that they drafted for best player available, but they didn't. They picked what they needed. So on to round two. James Cook. Now, I like I said, for the first two days of this draft, I was basically waking up and seeing the results of what had happened. So, well, they gave up a fourth to go up and get Elam. And yeah, yeah right. Uh, they moved. Wait, they moved back. They moved back twice to get James. They picked up a sixth both times. Okay, but didn't they end up trading up once again to, to get, get Khalil Shakir? They traded back in the second, and I think a lot of people thought they were going to take a receiver um, because mm. they traded back basically the minute that the Chiefs took Sky Moore. So yeah, a right. lot of people connected the dots and were like, oh, okay, the Bills then said, fine, he was our guy. We don't even care about picking here anymore. Let's accumulate some picks, and we can do what we want with them later. So they picked up a sixth round to move back like two spots, and then they traded again to go back two or three spots and accumulated two sixth-round picks at that time. So for, for a little while, they had four sixth-round picks, and they picked yeah. James Cook. Um, so they traded back to get James Cook, who is the brother of the Minnesota Vikings, Delvin Cook, which a lot of people are really yeah. excited about. But the minute you start reading about it, everything says, like, he's not Delvin Cook. Stop thinking that, you know? 
<laughs> he is super yeah. fast, really agile, and a great receiver. And this is when I talk about guys from this draft class who are like your little tweener types. This is not the tools mm. super potential type guy to me. This is like we drafted a running back, no? but really mm. he's just kind of like a receiver gadgety guy. Like he is going to help us do slot game and screen pass type stuff, but he's never going to be your three down running between the tackles, you know, every set of downs running back. Yeah, but you don't think that, I mean, he's he's definitely got a smaller frame than Delvin too. I, I don't even know if he's over 200 pounds, but you don't think he could pack on a little bit of weight eventually and, um, you know, become a more regular back instead of just, a slot back kind of deal, which is, I guess, what they envision him right now. I don't scout players myself. I have to be honest about this. But the scouting <laughs> true, report true. that I read said verbatim, cannot be a three-down back um, due to size restrictions. So he's going to have to yeah. put on muscle. Okay. But it's like uh, there is a, a cap on how much size he's going to add. And it seems to me, from what I read, that regardless of how much muscle he adds, there is a limit to how often he's going to be able to be on the field. And I don't know why they'd want him to bulk up. If his thing is speed and agility and receiving, you don't want to compromise any of that to maybe see if he can be a three down running back. So that was my interpretation of this pick was like, we thought we might be able to get some really electric tools in our offense. And this was the most electric tool that you could have gotten at that point in the draft. He's like a lightning rod and is very fast and a great receiver. But, this guy isn't going to cost Devin Singletary his job. Well, then that disappoints me a little bit more because I think if you're taking a guy in the second round, then yeah, you want him to be more or less an instant uh, contributor and hopefully somebody who you envision having a larger role as he can develop some of his skill set a little bit more to the next level. Um, and it's great that he's fast. It's great that he's a great receiving back. But I don't know, man. Like if if he doesn't – if you're just going to have to go in the draft next year once Singletary's gone in free agency or something and draft another guy in the second round at the same exact position, then I don't exactly know what the end game here is. Um, I, I was a little more hopeful because I had heard – yeah, of course, he never had – I think it was something crazy. Like he never had more than – 12 11 or 12 carries in a game his entire college career and if he backed up um zamir white who was a very good running back for georgia these past few seasons but i had also heard from people that he they looked at him and saw a little bit of like a poor man's alvin kamara which is nice to hear um and i got excited looking at other um small running backs who have kind of come into the league viewed as more receiving backs and then grown into a more feature back role like Devonta Freeman and Ray Rice back in the day. But of course those guys are a little more sturdily built than Dalvin or James Cook. So I don't know, man. Um, Like I said, you're getting a guy in the second round. You hope he can be an instant contributor and grow into something more. And if he's basically all he's ever going to be right now, then yeah. So, I mean, this wasn't my favorite pick of the draft, but I think it's fair to say that, like, of all the players who were picked, he probably adds most to the overall production of the Bills between last year and this year, right? So, like, 
Kair Elam was a piece you really needed, but the Bills' defense last year was great. It's, you know, hopefully it's still great again. That doesn't change much. Okay. But this piece, having an electric receiving threat out of the backfield, changes the Bills' offense more than anything else they did in the draft. So I think this is an immediate impact player, but it's not your replacement running back. You're never going to need one again. It's just another piece of the puzzle on offense, I think. Also important to note, uh, he was arrested and charged with driving with an open container and an invalid driver's license in 2019. So this is uh, a guy with potential character concerns. But as you pointed out, Bean and McDermott are the guys to rein in a guy like that if that is more than just a one-odd you know, outlier of a... Yeah. Anyway, um, anything else you want to say about the running back? Does Wonderlick score mean anything to you, Graham? Yes, means a great deal to me. He got a six. Ooh, what's the best you get on a Wonderlick? Like thirty something? Uh, I think it's like forty is perfect or something like that. Mm, that's not very good. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I was excited for this pick at the time. Uh, my dad wanted them to pick James Cook, and you know I was impressed because they actually went and got the guy that my dad wanted. So he must have done a little bit of research on it. And the more I read about it. It's like a, an interesting addition for this year, but it comes with a lot of caveats as you read more and more into it. So, you know, hopefully right. he helps the offense a lot. That's the best case scenario here. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely all that. The other fact of the matter is I don't necessarily know that the rest of the league viewed him as a second round pick. Like they reached? I believe that there was a... Yeah, I believe there was a little bit of surprise that he went as high as he did. Because again, you know, second round pick for a, for a guy that's going to be more or less solely a receiving threat. And I get it. Like like you said, if he does nothing other than fit his profile coming into the league and be a really explosive receiving back, that's cool. But isn't it also a little bit of a tell every single time the guy comes out on the field then if that's all you can expect him to do is catch the ball? Yeah, well, that's why you need him to develop into a pass blocker and he's got to be able to run between the tackles a little bit. So Sure, sure. Yeah, We'll see. So tweener, tweener um, pick number one of the draft for me. He is an in-between running back receiver guy. That's a theme to this draft, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you talk about the third round? Because you had some concrete opinions about this guy. <laughs> what did I say to you again in my text message? You didn't like it. What I had said about him was he's small and gets injured a lot, but he's not bad when he's healthy. And I more or less stand by that. Um, Terrell Bernard is a, he's one of those undersized linebackers who's really flying around the field all the time because he plays like he's got his hair on fire. Um, and because he's small, he's, he's a quicker dude. He's more agile. Um, everybody talks about how smart he is and what a great leader he is. So he's he fits the exact mold of a McDermott guy, somebody who you want in the locker room. Um, everybody has great things. To, everybody has great things to say about him, but he's always injured, like always injured. And that worries me at the next level because if he's – if his body can't hold up in a short college season, what is he going to do in a 17-game NFL season when the players he's running against are even bigger and the hits are even harder and 
So that scares me. And uh, to take a guy like him in the third round, I think it says a little bit. And again, I'm, I'm always just kind of trying to look into these picks and, and see what else you can you can analyze from this. But it tells me that they might be preparing for a future after Tremaine Edmonds even. See, I'm glad you brought this up, but this guy is not a Tremaine Edmonds replacement. He is tiny. Edmonds. Well, that's what I mean, because like. I'm wondering if they look at Edmonds and they think, yeah, we took this freak athlete who's 6'4", 260, um, but you know, has zero instincts basically, and it kind of didn't work out. He's made a couple Pro Bowls, but I think most fans who watch the Buffalo Bills every single week say he might not have lived up to his draft status. Um and then you see a little guy like Matt Milano flying around, and I'm not his biggest fan, but you love him. Your mother loves him, apparently. And um, maybe they think they're getting a second version of Matt Milano in Terrell Bernard, and they might not mind rolling forward with two smaller guys flying around the field and being really effective in coverage. See, I think this is a Matt Milano guy. This is Milano is 27. Who knows how long he's going to play, but he did just get a big contract. But I think what this pick did is let you know that Edmonds isn't going anywhere. Because you can't get you can't take him off the field and replace him with two little dwarfs. They're going to get smoked. Um, you know, for all the heat that Edmonds gets from Bills fans, he was he I think he was an alternate, but he made a Pro Bowl. Um, he is getting his fifth year option, where a lot of linebackers who are picked in the first year round have not been lately. Um, and I think teams around the league see him as a threat in the middle of the field. He's an effective defensive player for a great defense and right there in the middle of it, um, good in coverage. So I don't think this replaces him at all. But when you read this guy's scouting report, like he's got a great football mind. He invests in his conditioning. He's super disciplined. He was a captain. Problem is he's hurt all the time and he's small. So that's Matt Milano. Like if, if you want a guy – to develop into as effective as a player as Matt Milano. Why not have him learn from Matt Milano and see how he trains? They'll have the NFL conditioning program. He'll work on bulking up, preventing injuries. But this guy is the prototype of Matt Milano in my mind. It makes me think that, you know, they would like him to be like Matt Milano and use them interchangeably as Matt Milano's career extends into his late 20s and into the 30s. You get a guy, you give him a couple of years of development, and then he becomes an option at that spot. But I don't think this is a replacement for Jermaine Edmonds. I don't think, I'm not saying it's a one-for-one one replacement of Tremaine Edmonds, but I do think that it might point more towards him leaving because I think that Terrell Bernard might be more representative of the type of the linebacker that the Bills want moving forward, these these smaller, more agile guys. Um, and I get, you know, obviously the comparisons to Matt Milano might mean that he's the eventual successor to Matt Milano, but Milano just signed that big contract. It's for three more years, I think. And um, Bernard's rookie contract is going to be for four. So what, you're going to um, keep... Bernard playing behind Milano for the next three years and then have him for one more year of his rookie deal before you have to make a decision on whether to extend him or not. I, I don't see that being the case. I think this is more a case 
where they think he could be a good running mate and for Milano and do some of the things that Edmonds does. And then maybe they also draft a, a bigger guy later on uh, next year or something like that. Bring in a bigger guy through free agency who can do some of the other stuff that Tremaine Edmonds does for the Bills. See, that could be, but this guy, I think, I think what this guy is and will be, as long as Matt Milano's healthy, is an option to play on the field like how he plays on the field or as more of a substitute for like Saran Neal at times when you need a guy to be a run stuffer and also cover and be fast. So like that's this is another one of those tweeners like I mentioned. He is a linebacker, but really he's got like the speed to cover and hopefully that's where his value is, is more in that in between when you need to bring in you know, nickel packages, and you don't necessarily want Saran Neal to be the guy who's going to have to step up and also, you know, stuff a run. So I, I don't know what their plan is, but this guy isn't your prototypical linebacker, and he doesn't have any of these tools where you think like, oh, if he just develops this, he's going to be off the charts. He's not that. He's like already at his ceiling physically for what he's going to be, it seems like. So where does he fit in? I think it's a somewhere between linebacker and safety, and they're going to use these guys in some weird ways, I think. You know what, though? I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the reasons I actually really do like this pick is because his character, like every time you hear about players who are like totally maxed out their potential, they're, they're already at their ceiling coming into the league, and then they end up really outplaying their draft position or really surprising people and becoming even better. It's these guys who work really hard, have great attitudes and are super smart. Milano is one of those guys. Um, the other guy I can think of right off the top of my head, Hunter Renfro for the, for the, uh, Raiders who might have had the best pre-draft scouting report I ever heard. I think it was something like too small, too slow, and his hands are tiny. Other than that, he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he ended up being a great pick for the Raiders, a thousand yard receiver. And so I totally get what you're saying. He might be one of these guys who's maxed out all of his potential coming into the league already, but because he's one of those high character dudes um, and because he's going to be work with working with Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott, to be honest with you, um, I really have optimism that he can become a much better player at this level if he can stay healthy that's actually my biggest concern is whether his body can just hold up yeah before we move on to the next pick um for those of you who haven't looked into this guy i'm just going to read his injury history because it's pretty real um season ending fractured shoulder and torn labrum that required surgery in november of 2020 broken right hand that required surgery in november of 2019 Missed one game as a senior because of a knee scope in September 2021. Redshirted in 2017 after breaking his foot. That's the injury history of this guy. Five years. Five years of injuries. So, uh, yeah, he gets hurt a lot. And he's small. But he's smart, hardworking, and, you know, if there's a place for him on a roster, I think being a McDermott can make that happen. All right, uh, no fourth-round pick because they traded it to go up and get Kair Elam. So let's move to the fifth round where most people would say the Bills found the best value of the draft. Um, what are your mm. thoughts on Khalil Shakir? I really like the pick overall. I really like the player. He's another one of these dudes 
super high character. Um, and everybody talks about what a great leader he is. He's, he's kind of the, um, yeah, he, he brings the energy to the locker room. They talk about, um, some of his tools seem a little bit average. He tested well, I think at the combine, if I'm not mistaken, he ran something in the four fours, but a lot of people talk about how his play speed doesn't really match up to that. And for kind of a taller player, six foot, he's got short arms. I was, I was really excited about him when I first saw the pick. And I think the more I read about him, I'm a little bit lower, but not so low. Yeah. What do you think? Um, well, his arm length at the combine was 29 inches. But then they remeasured him at his pro day, and it was twenty nine and an eighth. So maybe Whoa. by He's growing day, he'll be a giant eagle. Of yeah, a man. he'll be like six four, two twenty, Drake London size. He's doing something. Let's hope they don't <laughs> test him. <at> all. <laughs> I think this guy's like character can't be overstated. He's a super high character guy. He comes from like a military family, and he's a super hardworking leadership, like quiet, humble, but dedicated personality. Um, and then on top of that, when you read his scouting report, like to me, it is Cole Beasley, but taller. That's what it seems like to me. Um, he accounted for first, one of the stats that spoke to me was that he accounted for a first down or a touchdown on 75% of his catches. So three quarters of the time that he caught the ball, it was for a first down or a touchdown which is like your safety net go-to when you're in trouble or when you need him type of guy. That's what I feel like Cole Beasley has been for Josh Allen and his development. So I, they, they said that this is a slot guy. I think he is. Uh, he's probably not quite as quick, maybe. He's not as small as Cole Beasley, but he can also play more on the outside because of his side, hopefully. So um, he's a kick return and punt, punt return threat as well. Uh, he's just got a lot, of, a lot of tools. And again, he's not the fastest guy. You know, he's not entirely slot, although he is mostly. He's not limited to not playing on the outside, but he can do a lot of stuff, and he accounts for a lot of all-purpose yards. I I spoke about Hunter Renfro just a second ago. To me, he kind of profiles as a, a bigger, more athletic Hunter Renfro with maybe, well, definitely not as um, consistent hands. I do believe that um, Shakir had like, 10 drops his senior year, I think I read somewhere, which is a little bit concerning. But then again, it could all be about the volume too, right? So he caught a lot of balls. He got a lot of targets. And some drops um, are attributed to the receiver, but are a lot of times the fault of the quarterback as well. Yeah. So I really like Shakir. I'm, I'm high on him. And the fact that he's a great route runner that people – didn't expect to run as fast as he did is just a bonus for me. Yeah, I, I really like this pick. And this one of all the picks, a lot of people seemed to think was the biggest steal of the Bills draft class. A lot of people thought that he could have gone higher in the fourth. Some people even had a third round grade on him and the Bills snagged him in the fifth. They This is the one where they traded up to get him and packaged one of those sixth round picks that they had acquired to move up uh, and go get this guy. So. He adds a lot, I think, to the receiver room and puts a little bit of pressure on that slot receiver return man specialist 
battle that we're going to see in training camp, right? Because you got oh, yeah. Marquez Stevenson, who they drafted last year late in the sixth or fifth, sixth round pick, I think, Marquez Stevenson. Then you got Isaiah McKenzie, obviously, who was just re-signed to do that. And now Khalil Shakir's in the mix. I don't know if you need three of those guys, so we'll see what happens. But it'll be fun, and I think Shakir is absolutely on this roster and a fun guy to watch for. All right. Let's get to the big one, Graham. Well, we deserve credit for this one, which we already alluded to in our mock we draft. Do. We picked Matt Ariza, although I think we took him around earlier than the Bills. Well, we, we wanted to play it safe, you know? We wanted to make sure we got our guy. We didn't take any chances. I was shocked when they made this pick. I didn't even know he was like still available because two punters had been picked in the draft Dude, before him. He was a third punter. This yeah. is the punt god, and he was a third punter to go in the draft. So a lot of people are going to wonder why that is. I think that the two knocks on him that I've heard are, A, he's never been a holder for a kicker because he was also the kicker, which to, to me, as I've never done this. I've never held. I've never had to kick. You probably should speak to this more than me because you do have some kicking experience. I feel like you can very easily teach someone to just hold a stupid football while somebody kicks it. Am I wrong? Dude, no, you're you're absolutely right. And I think, I don't know why, uh, maybe it's just because they're, they're special teamers and whatever and like they have nothing to do during practice when everybody else is actually doing stuff. But wouldn't you want in almost every situation, your holder to be like your third string quarterback so that if something were to happen, like, I don't know, a bad snap or something like that, at least the holder can maybe try to make honest throw of it. Yeah. To me, that makes sense. But, you know, from what I listen to, it's like, I think the best comparison for me for is hockey where like you'll have practice and the forwards and the defense will be doing stuff. And then the two goalies are just basically on like a different team. They are doing yeah, yeah, their that's own what workouts, I mean. doing so, their own things. They're weirdos. Exactly. You know, and the special teams thing is the same deal in football. And to me, what I keep hearing is like, well, the reason you want your punter to be your holder is those two guys are hanging out all the time and they have to be best friends and they have to have something to do while the rest of the team is practicing. It's kind of a weird relationship, right? It's yeah. kind of a one way thing, though, where like the, the punter is like doing something for their kicker all the time. But what is, you know, what does a kicker have to do for the punter, really? Do you remember in uh, The Waterboy, which I only real- remember this because I just saw it on TV the other day, that, that coach who's horrible, he, the way he structures his practices is he'll be like, all right, offense, you're coming with me. Defense, you're going with coach, whatever. And the kicker's standing there and he's like, what should I do, coach? And he's like, I don't know, run laps, whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is to me what it sounds like the NFL must be with special teams. It's like, if you're going to have two guys do this job, you can't take even the backup quarterback away from practice to practice this for even one second. So let's just make sure that this punter is good at it. Not the backup quarterback, but that's what I'm saying. These third string quarterbacks, man. Well, the These Bills guys who can actually three, really. still throw the ball. I don't I don't even think the Bills are going to keep three quarterbacks. So Probably not. But you're you're right. Like it does seem like it'd be nice to have someone with more tools play that spot. But then so to play devil's advocate, my point, which is anyone should be able to hold a stupid football, on the flip side. I heard this data about Corey Bohorquez, who was the Bills punter for a season and was allegedly a horrible holder. Well, he goes off and plays for Green Bay last year, and they had like the worst kicking of their franchise history in the last 20 years. And everyone's yeah, saying, like, yeah. draw a straight line from wherever Corey Bohorquez was holding footballs to the success of the kicking game. I don't know what he's doing, but he's really bad What's at it. What's their kicker, Mason Crosby? Yeah. He had like, yeah, he a had, historically like, a bad season. Year. 
Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. the Dolphins had Matt Hack, and we took him. And the Dolphins kicking game was great two years ago. But last year, bad. Because we took Hack, who's a good punter, kicker, uh, holder guy. So maybe there's more to this, and I'm sure there's more to this than I'm That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. um, So I feel you should just be able to teach anybody to hold a stupid football. But the other knock against him is that he's just good at kicking it far. And he doesn't get hang time. He just gets distance, um, which is slightly concerning. And, you know, you need to teach him to be able to land punts inside of 10 yards, not just kick it through the rafters every single time. That, to me, is all... The Bills don't care. They picked a freak. This is one of those freak picks, like a Josh Allen pick or a Tremaine Edmonds pick. This guy has insane tools. Let's te- see if we can te- teach him to rein it in. And uh, if you can, you've got Tyler Bass and uh, Matt Ariza, and you've got a sick kick-punt team duo going into the next five years of Bills football. So pretty excited about hey. it. We're going to see a nice not a bad situation to be in. Yeah. I also read something. I, I didn't send this to you because I didn't want to alarm you, but Tyler Bass's job in jeopardy in the future. Oh, stop. Imagine the tool that a player could be if he was the punter and the kicker. Yeah. But if he's your punter and your kicker and he gets hurt, then what? Yeah, then you're screwed. Right. I don't think a team would do that, but maybe. So anyway. The big thing about about uh, the punt god, though, Matt Ariza, I don't even know if we said his real name. Um, <laughs> the biggest thing about him, though, is, as you mentioned, he, he has a super strong leg, maybe, a not, uh, maybe not a whole lot of control. And a lot of the things that I saw about him pre-draft were um, um, he outkicks his coverage. Right. You know? So, like, he's kicking it deep. He's not kicking it high. And then doesn't really give his his boys a chance to get in position to make a play on the returner. So one of the more ridiculous we'll comments I heard about this because for some reason we're doing a lot of dissecting punters these days in the Buffalo media um, was that the way that the wind swirls at the Ralph oh my is God. more conducive <laughs> to a left-footed punter than it is to a right-footed punter which to me is just nonsense. But again, there must be more to it than I can possibly imagine. So this was some former NFL punter that said this. So I don't know. Oh my God. Okay. And well, I was going to say, I hope the person who said this had both a PhD in meteorology <laughs> and extensive experience in punting. So at least he's got one of those two things. Yeah. All right. That's enough punter talk. Uh, let's stay in the sixth round. And move on to the Bills' second sixth-round pick, which I guess would be... Oh, Christian. Yeah, that's right. Christian. Number number 185, Christian Benford, cornerback out of Villanova. Another, what is this guy's job going to be? Even if, if, he's, if he pans out and if he makes the team, because now we're into that conversation, right? The Bills have a really great roster. What are the odds that you even have guys at this point making rosters? But... If he pans out, is he even a corner or is he a safety? It's really hard to tell because he didn't even play in, um, you know, a major conference. So for a player who played at Villanova, he was the most dominant player in FCS, right? Or did I get I yep. mixed up? FCS. 
He was like the most dominant secondary player at the FCS level, but how does that translate? How does his size translate? He's, he has a lot of picks, um, but he seems most people seem to think he's more of a safety. If he pans out, he's going to be more of a safety-type prospect. So he's a tweener to me and not at all a threat in the cornerback room, but maybe potentially a threat to see could he do Saran Neal's job or could he maybe play safety if um, they move away from Jaquan, Jaquan Johnson after this season. So I don't know, probably not too much to really read into about this pick, but sort of an interesting addition. I really like this guy, actually. I really like Christian Benford. I think if you're coming into the NFL from an FCS school, the number one thing that you want to show scouts is just dominating at your level. And he absolutely did that. He had, I believe it was seven interceptions this past season. And he's, you know, you say that he's not a threat for the cornerback room. I don't know if I necessarily agree. He's a bigger dude. He's six foot, about six foot one, nearly 210 pounds. But I think he ran faster than, than a lot of people thought he would. He's a four or five guy. Um, and I could see him challenging for Dane Jackson's role. Yeah. Like a guy who's, yeah, who gets brought out on the field if something happens to the top two dudes. And maybe even, as you said, playing this sort of tweener role of uh, Neil when you need to cover a bigger dude down the line. So I really like the pick. I like the player. And it's a little bit different than last year's, what was it, seventh or sixth round pick? The Goose. The Goose. Yeah, we were we were worried about Rashad Wild Goose's uh, job security, even straight out of the draft. But he was a different player, a much smaller player, and so I think with Christian Benford's size, his college production, he can create a role for himself on this defense. Yeah, I think he's a special teams and potentially a safety prospect to me. But we're also talking about guys now who are picked at a point where they probably aren't going to make the roster. I think we have to keep that. Yeah. In mind. Let me address that real quick because I did go back actually and listen to a little bit of our draft episode, post-draft episode from last oh. season. And you brought up a really good point, I thought. It was based off of what Bean had said, where like with this super talented roster that the Bills have, and we should mention the Bills are now trending as the current favorite to win Super Bowl in 2020, uh, the 2022 season, I should Ooh. say. Oh, um, I say that. With this super talented roster, the Bills are not going to have their pick of the litter of these undrafted rookie free agent dudes. So if the Bills like a player because of his tools, which I think they you know, like Christian Benford for that reason because he's got some tools and he can't coach size, if they like those players, they have to make an effort to get them in the draft because otherwise these deals are happening with undrafted rookie free agents. I don't know in the sixth round even teams are calling up players and saying we're not going to draft you but we got a nice little bonus for you if you want to come play for us the problem with this too though with that that philosophy is they got to make the team or they're going to get plucked off your roster as soon as you cut them which happened last year with jack anderson the guard they drafted in the seventh round and then rashad wild goose same thing too so you're just wasting draft picks if you're picking these guys so that they're in camp 
you're not the Bills are not the team anymore that's going to sneak guys through waivers, which used to happen all the time, and you'd have great players sit on the Bills practice squad because no one's paying attention. Now people are paying attention. So if they cut Christian Benford, some team very likely to grab him. So I'm kind of hoping at this point that guys like Christian Benford and the next guy we're going to talk about, Luke Tenuta, I hope they have a horrible camp. I hope they look like garbage, (laughs) and then they join the practice squad, and the Bills can develop them, and they can quietly sit there and get better and better and better. No, man, I hope Dane Jackson has a bad camp. Why would you want Dane Jackson to stick around if he hasn't proven anything and he's nearing the end of his rookie deal? As opposed to a guy like Christian Benford who you can keep around for the next three, four well, years. Well, I'm saying cheap. it's already a given that Christian Benford's not taking Dane Jackson's job. I don't think that's happening. Oh, we'll see, Graham. We'll see about that. All right. I'll bet going? you right now. You want to bet on it? Running bets? Who starts more games in 2022? <laughs> Christian Come at Benford me after the rookie camp. Dane Jackson? Yeah, so anyway, I, I don't think we have to dwell on Christian Benford, but it was kind of interesting that they picked a corner out of the FCS, and uh, we'll see what happens. He's a bigger guy. Um, and then they picked an even bigger guy at pick 209 in the sixth round. Ooh, nice segue, bro. Thank you. This is just like they took their cookie cutter of offensive tackles from last year and used it again. Chunk. <laughs> Another 6'8 yeah. monster behemoth person. The problem is he's, he's just big. That's it, right? He's just a huge person. Um, Luke Tenuta, the tackle from Virginia Tech, also 6'8", uh, 319 pounds. Tommy Doyle and Spencer Brown, you know, also huge people from last season, same position. But it, he doesn't seem like he has a lot of potential to develop beyond what he is right now from what I've read. Um, no scouting reports were really high on him. I'm just going to see if I can pull up any of the positive. Dude, things. you want a skating scouting report? Let's hear it. Let me read one to you. So it said his father, John, um, his father served as a defensive coordinator in college football for like 40 something years. And this scout says, I loved his father. He was a defensive coordinator at Ohio State and Georgia Tech and NC State. He, as in Luke, is nothing. That's it. <laughs> That's the whole report. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 75% of the scouting report is about his dad's coaching career. The other 25%, he, Luke, is nothing. Yeah. I, I wanted the Bills to draft an interior offensive lineman, and a guy this big can't even play interior offensive line. He's too huge. So he has to be a tackle. There was a dude way back in the day. I think, he's, I think his name was Alex Boone. He uh, was out of Ohio State, had some issues coming into the league, maybe with substance abuse or something, but he was looked at as at one point in college, a really uh, highly rated prospect didn't work out, came into the league as an undrafted free agent. And I think he was like six, eight and he ended up playing guard for many years. Well, maybe the bills can do something like that. It's not ideal. And one of the reasons for that they say is because of leverage. If you're six, eight, you're giving up a lot of leverage to these smaller um, interior defensive linemen. Right. Just a quick scouting report on him. He's imposing, obviously, has large hands. He's huge, but he has short arms that are disproportionate to his height. Makes it tough to play tackle, especially with long defensive ends. Um, he's, he doesn't offer a lot of upside. He's just a lack of length, lack of explosiveness, and a lack of power. But max potential Oof. is a backup right tackle. So, I don't know. They took a shot at a guy who's huge. 
This is another one of those boomer bust freak type guys. Um, but I don't think he's going to make the team. So I'm hoping he has a horrible camp and then he can be on the practice squad and develop. And, you know, maybe someday he'll be a, a useful backup. Coach's son. Everybody talks about his demeanor and football character. So Bills are just bringing on good people, I guess. And James Cook. Whether they're going to make the roster or not. Bunch of good people and James Cook. GTs with GPs, you know what I'm saying? For show. All right. Uh, seventh round pick. We got one more pick to talk about here. They still had a seventh, which is really Atlanta's seventh. They somehow acquired, I don't know. Yeah, they got it from Lee Smith, trading Lee Smith. Oh, yes. The Lee Smith trade tree begins. Yeah, man. (laughs) Balen Specter. Years from now, they're going to be like, whoa, the Bills got Balen Specter for Lee Smith. Can you believe that? So he's another tweener to me. He's a linebacker. Tweener. What? Yeah, I was repeating tweener, tweener, tweener. He has upside in coverage as a linebacker, um, and it seems like he's maybe another kick at the can for what Terrell Bernard could be because he's not as big, good in coverage, is a linebacker, probably could play big nickel, and will play somewhere between linebacker and safety, play special teams, and will be, you know, a weapon they use occasionally if he pans out. But seventh round pick, probably not even going to make the team in the first place. So, sure. Uh, you know, the thing that was interesting to me when I read about him is that he is totally a tweener because he played safety, I think, early on in his college career, um, or maybe in high school, can't remember. But obviously now he's a linebacker. And although he is listed at 231, he played much heavier than that. He played 13 pounds heavier than that in uh, this past college football season. He weighed 244. So he's looked at as a very small guy now, but maybe after he gets into an NFL weight room, he's got the chance to pack on a little bit. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I think it'll be up to the Bills what they want to do with him. If they want him to pack on weight, then maybe he can do that. But Seems like more of his strength is flying around in the mid-range, secondary to middle of the field um, space sure. there. So, so another guy to battle it out for a Matt Milano replacement type position. And with that, that rounds out the 2022 draft class. What were your thoughts overall? If you had to give it a letter grade, what do you think? B, B plus. It, it really depends on what they can get out of guys like James Cook because of his draft spot and because of his position. You hope that he can be an instant contributor. Do you want to talk at all? I know we didn't really talk about this beforehand, but do you want to talk at all about the uh, AFC East, the other AFC East teams and their uh, drafts? You no, know, I didn't look through individually everything. I know that the Dolphins didn't have a lot of picks because they traded away or traded for Tyreek Hill. So they had like no draft picks and a lot of people gave them a bad grade. The Jets drafted a thousand players in the first two rounds. They yes. took the best corner in our opinion. Anyway, Ahmad Gardner, they took Garrett Wilson, yeah. great receiver. And they got an edge rusher. The yeah. They got a uh, Jermaine Johnson. They traded, uh, right. They traded back in, got an edge rusher and then they got Brees Hall at the top of the second right. round. So I th- obviously the Jets had a really good draft. 
So you could say, honestly, that they got the best cornerback in the draft, the best wide receiver, arguably, um, the best pure pass rusher I heard a lot about Jermaine Johnson, and the best running back. So, yeah, not a bad draft for them. Pretty good draft. Pretty good draft, but, uh, you know, you can draft all the talent you want. I think this is one of the things we talked about. The Bills were never a serious threat no matter who they drafted because the organization just couldn't do anything with all that talent. So if this new regime in New York is any good, then they're off to a really good start. If they're not organized and structured and don't know what they're doing, and or if Zach Wilson stinks, they're in trouble. doesn't matter who you draft. So I think they had a really great draft, and Jets fans should be excited. But I'm not concerned as a Bills fan that this means it's over for us. The Jets are coming. Yeah, we talked about the Dolphins already and the Patriots. Very weird draft. Very, very weird draft. I loved hearing about people ripping on the Patriots. And I don't like Sean McVay. But did you hear the clip (laughs) of the Rams draft room laughing? Yeah, I did. Oh, man, that's so good. I did. Did you hear about his apology? No. Okay, then you'll hate him all over again. But yeah, it was a little bit like kissing the boots of, uh, or kissing the rings, I should say, of uh, Belichick afterwards. By the way, with the Patriots, they then draft a quarterback in the fourth round, uh, Bailey Zapp out of Western Kentucky. And then they signed as a free agent, <clears throat> rookie free agent, the, the Florida or the Miami kid. What? Derek King? Is that his name? Oh, yeah, yeah, but he's not going to be a quarterback. Derek King is like 5'8", dude, and he's he's a running quarterback. Oh, so okay. he's going to be like – I'm thinking he's either going to be – he might be listed at defensive back already, but I'm thinking he's going to be um, one of those wide receiver projects, like quarterback to wide receiver, like Edelman. And- yeah. Well, I just thought it was interesting that everybody talks about how smart they were to get Mac Jones last year, and then here they are drafting in the fourth round and then signing a free agent quarterback who people thought something of earlier in the year. I remember seeing him on the lookout for you know, players in this draft. He could be a huge player in the season. I don't know if he had a good year or whatever last year. But. They have Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris, who played like the best duo, running back duo in the league at times last season. And they re-signed James White, who I think is recovering from an injury. But they drafted two running backs. Like, it's relatively high. They got a guy in the fourth round. The guy in the sixth round, sure, that's not so high. But still, two running backs in a in a draft where they're, you'd think these Patriots have a lot of holes to fill because this is not a complete roster at the moment. And then they double down on quarterback a year after taking one in the first round. And then they, yeah, double down on running back after having a really good season. They got Pierre Strong, the South Dakota State running back, who I liked reading about. I thought that would be a good candidate for the Bills in the mid-rounds of the draft. But, yeah, then they took Kevin Harris in the sixth round, too. So, I don't know. I think it's hilarious. I think the Patriots are a disaster. And I love, although I don't like Tom Brady, I love it becoming more and more obvious that Bill Belichick probably didn't have very much to do compared to Brady with that dynasty. Are you kidding me? No, dead serious. Oh my God. You're such a hater. Yeah, I I hate Brady, but I'm willing to give me one shred of evidence that it's more Belichick than Brady, that dynasty. I'm not saying it's more, but I'm not, I'm certainly not going to sit here and, say either that 
Tom Brady was yanking Bill Belichick along this whole time. Why? Why not? Brady leaves in, in one year. He goes and wins the Super Bowl somewhere else. With a totally yeah, different but look at the team he went to. He went to an absolutely stacked team as well. Right. So doesn't that even say more about the coach GM that they couldn't build a good roster the whole time? It just had to be Brady dragging him along? There's, there's a difference, though. There's Belichick, the GM, which I think most people would say is probably not the best. And then there's Belichick, the coach, who I think everybody would say is the best coach in NFL history besides you. Because you're a hater. Yeah, he stinks. Okay, you're absolutely crazy right now. Um, all right, so guy. we touched on the Bills' AFC East opponents and what they did in the draft. Not much besides the Jets, who did a lot. But I'd say maybe today we close off with taking a look, a look at some of our bets, and then next week we can get into the uh, scheduling stuff. Yeah, We made a lot of bets last season throughout the year, and the fans want to know what the heck happened with these bets because there was a lot of trash talk, a lot of discussion about who was going to have more of them right at the end of the year, so I think it's important that we break a couple of them down. Um, the first bet, which I think we should point out, was what will the Bills record be in 2021, and we both guessed the same record. We guessed that it would be 13. Absolutely. So we tied there because we're both wrong. Um, we also bet yeah. on which game the Bills would definitely win in 2021. And I picked Pittsburgh because it was the home opener. And you picked Loser. Houston. Houston was a slaughter. So you obviously won that bet. Congratulations there. Um, we bet on two teams' records. No, four teams' records other than the Bills. Uh, we dr- we bet on the Jaguars' win total, and we put the over-under at five. I took Whoa. five or under wins, five or less, and you took over five wins for the Jaguars for last season. Are you serious? What was I thinking? Was I drunk? That was one of Had the I ones. been drinking before the podcast? One of those episodes. <laughs> you were oh wasted. Yep, you picked over five for the Jags, um, and they were a dumpster fire this season. So oh my God. I won that bet. But um, oh my we God. also bet on the Jets record, the Patriots record, and the Dolphins record. We each bet that the Patriots would be nine and eight. We were pretty much the same on that. They were 10 and seven, so I think we did a pretty nice job, but that's a tie. I bet that the Dolphins would be 10 and seven. You bet that the Dolphins would be 11 and six. Dolphins were nine and eight, so I won that one. I was closer. Also with the Dolphins, do you remember this? We bet on what their first five games would look like. Yeah, I do remember. I bet that they would win a maximum of one game through their first five games, and then yeah. finish ten and seven. Did I call I took the, the Dolphins field. season or what? Yeah, they won yeah. one game. Congratulations! In their first, I think like seven or eight games. <sighs> You know what? I was going to sit here a second ago. I was thinking, you know what? I, I almost give you credit on the Pittsburgh one because that was more bravado on your part saying like, oh, yeah, let's start this season on the right note, you know, but then here you are ready to break your arm, patting yourself on the back. I'm pretty impressive. And then we bet on the Jets record. You said five and 12. I said four and 13. Boom. What was the Jets record? Four and 13. So I cleaned up in that department. But then we bet on the Patriots and Bucks game when they played on Monday Night Football. And I thought the Patriots yeah, would win that game, but they didn't. So you won that one. Uh, we also bet on which team would be featured on Hard Knocks. And I guaranteed that it would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. You took the field <laughs> and, I, and obviously won that. I don't know why I was so 
confident it would be the Jags. They would have been a great story. I think HBO. That was our drinking episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think HBO missed out there. That would have been really good TV. Oh, my God. Urban Meyer kicking everybody every week. <laughs> this week on Hard Knocks. Who will Urban Meyer kick this week? <laughs> it's like they're not even afraid of being cut. Like at, at some point, they look at that as a mercy. They just don't want to be physically beaten by this man. <laughs> so then uh, there were a series of games that we predicted the scores of, and you did better over the long haul of score predictions. Uh, but in the end, Thank disappointingly you. for our listeners, we tied in points exactly seven to seven in bets. So next year. We're going to have to break the tie. And I've got a couple ideas for us to just kick this off. It'll be pretty quick. Um, four questions about the Bills' schedule, because the schedule's coming out next week, so this is a good opportunity to preview that. Some people get really into this thing. I think it's interesting, but it's not you know, the day I've got marked on my calendar. Um, so first question for you, how many primetime games will the Bills play in this year? Ooh, okay. Let me think who they play. So Thursday night football, Monday night football, Sunday night football. How many of those will they get? I think they'll get four. Four games. Oh, I was going to say three, and I thought that was a lot. So I'll take three. You take four. Yeah, I'll take take the over on that. All right, follow up. How many of those will be home games? One. This is the problem with the Bills' schedule. They should get two because they're the Bills and they're a favorite and, you know, it's a fun atmosphere and that. But their home opponents stink. Yeah, they do. It's the Browns, the Steelers. So that's your AFC. You know what, though? All it takes is a frisky AFC East team to make that two home games. Right. So I am going to say two, but I think you're going to win this bet because I just don't think that there are interesting enough teams um, for the Bills to play at home. But my bets are, if you got to give the Bills two, you give them the Patriots, just because of that rivalry, again, and the Dolphins, because the Dolphins are oh. an exciting team this year. So you don't even give them the Packers on a primetime home game? I just don't think so, because it's just an NFC-AFC wow. crossover, and I don't know. Yeah, but you don't think that they're going to want to put Josh Allen up against Aaron Rodgers in primetime, I think that's a big draw. Right. That's the one that I would say is set for their primetime home game. Then maybe we do get three, because I think you could see the Bills slaughter the Patriots in primetime, because the Patriots are just still barely relevant in the national media. In terms of the away games, that's where I see a lot of their primetime action. And with the Ravens, Chiefs, Rams, I think that's a, yeah, a good bet to have Three primetime matchups. Bill's got a shot at first game of the season on Thursday night. Yeah. Because that's usually the Super Bowl champions, right? They open the season at home, typically. So, Bills play the Rams next year away. I haven't looked at the other opponents for the Rams this season, but I would think the Bills would be one of the big draws. Although that's another crossover conference game. Um, Two more questions. Who will be the Bills' home opener opponent? Bills' home opener you brought up a good point earlier with, with the whole Deshaun Watson situation. I don't think they're going to want to throw a hapless Browns team up against the Bills for their home opener. So I'm going to say we'll go with the Dolphins. I think that's a good pick. I'm going to say 
Titans. Oh, okay. Just because last year they opened at home against a non-division team and the Titans are a big playoff yeah. team, that could be exciting. Um, but you go Dolphins, I'll go Titans. And then the last question. A lot of Bills fans are divided over this issue of how many home games the Bills will play in the freezing cold of December. I tend to really enjoy that experience. I think it's cool to bring in teams and force them to play in Buffalo in December. Some people hate that because if you're a season ticket holder, you'd like to go to a few games that are not miserable. So, final question. How many home games will the Bills play in the month of December? I say two. Two is a down-the-middle solid guess, but I'm going to say they repeat again like last year and play three home games in December. No, I'll go with two, though. So the schedule comes out in, uh, like, Wednesday, I think, of next week. Wednesday night. Yep, yep. Should be exciting. We'll get to finally see what the Bills' schedule looks like, how many primetime games. You can start planning which games you're going to. That'll all be exciting. I'm pumped, Graham. Schedule, it goes for me in the offseason, number one, draft, number two, free agency, number three, schedule release. See, I don't always get into all this stuff. I'm really excited for camp because, you know, we also got to talk about rookie minicamp. No, no, no. I was kidding. I I was kidding. I don't care. (laughs) Not one iota. I don't care about it at all. Some people really care. I mean, if you watch the draft, they're promoting the schedule release. Don't care. Don't care. Just for our listeners, we also played a rookie fantasy game last season. Eric and I drafted five rookies from the Bills rookie minicamp. We tracked them to see how many games they would play, how many they would start, whether they'd make the roster, and we gave out points for that. So we'll get into that during our next episode, update you guys on how Season 1 turned out, and we'll do our redraft for Season 2. And then we can start talking about actual practices and how Bill's players are looking. I can't wait. It's exciting. Yeah, especially because we got the like slowest months of the NFL calendar coming up. We got to make our own fun for a little while. I know. USFL, Elf. I can't wait for the Elf. Yep, yep. I was just looking at the Elf website, which unfortunately looks exactly the same. (laughs) Oh God! (laughs) But they've got four new teams in the league. Yeah, bro. We talked about this already. Remember? I mean, I knew they were going to add a couple, but Vienna Vikings poaching the Minnesota Vikings, like complete colors and symbol and everything. Um, I have a hard time with European sports because of the way their teams are named a lot of the times. Like when you watch Premier League soccer, the teams, aren't they don't have like a name. You know, they're just like the football club or like sometimes the names are backwards. It's like the city last and the team first. Um, and then some of these teams are that way now. So you've got uh, the Istanbul Rams who are new, which like I like that. You got the city, then you got the name. That's like a real thing. Then you've got the Raiders Tyrol. What the heck is that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was an existing team. That's been a team for a while. And if I'm not mistaken, when we did talk about this like half a year ago, we talked about how dominant they've been at whatever league, whatever league they've been in. What what is their thing again? Raiders Something Tyrol. Tyrol. Raiders. Huh. I don't know what the heck that is. Is Tyrol the city? Why is it backwards? Yeah, Tyrol is the city. Get it together, Elf. Yeah, bro. Uh, All right, anyway. This was our 30-minute episode, and it didn't turn out that way, so 
why don't we wrap this up and then we can do another episode in a couple weeks, talk about rookie minicamp and get into some of the, uh, the actual football developments. And we can recap maybe the USFL at that time too. Sounds good. Sounds good, Graham. Shout out to all of our loyal listeners. Thank you. We appreciate you. We appreciate you guys' feedback, answering the poll questions. We did have two people place their bets on who we, they thought the Bills would draft. They didn't draft any of those, but I like reading through those to see what you guys think, so keep it up. Thank yeah. You. All right. Sounds good, Graham. Talk to you later.